morning. Hope everybody had a great 4th of July and that we celebrated the, this great country of America with a wonderful, wonderful celebration and uh, lots of fireworks. No greater way to celebrate our freedom than that. What I want to talk about today is today's gospel and what, what it really shows about our purpose here as Christians. Because what, it, what, what today's gospel is, is geared almost specifically and solely toward evangelization. And if you will, if you look at today's gospel, it's kind of like a handbook on how you and I are supposed to evangelize. And in fact, in this handbook, it really shows us three distinct things. It shows us what our mission is in this evangelization, what exactly are we evangelizing, how we're going to do it, and what we're going to accomplish in doing it. So our first kind of thing that it reveals to us, what our mission is, can be seen right there in the first line. Maybe some that a lot of us kind of skip over whenever we read it. At that time, the Lord appointed 72 others who he sent ahead of him in pairs. 72 others. Maybe you're wondering why 72. And I think that's, that's a key to understanding this whole passage. A lot of scripture commentaries often say the reason why it's 72 is because of the, of the, 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 the fact that early in the scriptures, the Old Testament believed that there were 70 Gentile nations. And that this appointment of 72 men was symbolic of our purpose to evangelize the whole world, which is all absolutely true. But there's actually a more precise area in the Old Testament where the number 72 makes more sense to this gospel passage. And it's in the book of Numbers. In Numbers, Moses goes to the Lord and says, Lord, I've had it. I can't take these people anymore. They're annoying me. They won't stop stop complaining about you. They won't stop complaining about the manna that you give them. They won't stop complaining about the quail. Please kill me. I'd rather be dead than deal with all of these whiny Israelites. And so what the Lord did to answer him and to relieve him of of his stress and his problems, he said, appoint 70 elders amongst the Israelites and bring them to the mountain. And so what does he do? He does just that. He brings 70 elders, brings them to the mountaintop, and the Lord takes from the spirit of Moses and gives them a part of the spirit of Moses, each one of these 70s. And from that point, they prophesied. Now, unfortunately, the the evidently didn't really take because they only prophesied once whenever they actually received the spirit. But what's interesting is amongst those 70, there were two men that were still inside the camp. They didn't actually go up to the mountain. One was Joshua. One was Elan. Joshua ended up, ended up becoming the successor to Moses. And those two men received the Spirit. And not only did they just receive the Spirit, but they, they kept preaching the Spirit. They kept being prophets to the point where actually a lot of other guys were jealous of them because they were continually able to prophesy. Which is something that, that, that these other men were, were, were upset about. But Moses encouraged them to do. Now, if we do the math, 70 plus 2 is 72. And which means that in the Lord appointing 72 men, 72 people, to go out and spread the good news, what he's essentially saying is, I am the new Moses. I am the new Moses. I am the fulfillment of the prophecy of Isaiah, which says the Lord will raise up a new prophet 
which will have his words, which will speak from his mouth, which he will, he will speak the good news of God. And not only that, not only is he raising up the, a new prophet, not only is he the new, new Moses, but he allows us to participate in that mission. That mission to prophesy, that mission to spread the good news. And what is the good news that we're spreading? Jesus Christ, the Messiah. The fact that we have a Savior amongst us that is willing to elevate us out of our misery, elevate us of our sin, and allow us to experience the good news, allow us to experience God's grace. So what is our mission? To spread the good news, to let the world know that the Messiah is here. That our Savior has come. And we can rejoice over that. So then at least the next question, how are we going to do it? And Jesus says, go out like lambs among wolves. Carry no money bags, carry no sackcloth, no extra tunic. Go out like lambs among wolves and essentially go out trusting that the shepherd will take care of you. Don't trust the world. Don't trust the people around you. They're wolves. They'll tear you apart. Trust me. Trust the Lord. The only way a a lamb could possibly survive amongst wolves is if he does have a shepherd there with a crook, with a staff, willing to defend him. Willing to defend that lamb against the jaws of the enemy. But what's noticeable, what's what's interesting about this is that essentially what Jesus is saying is we do not spread our faith by the sword. We are not men and women who spread our faith by the sword. We do not conquer and force by gunpoint the faith of Jesus Christ. We come like lambs among wolves. We come there to spread the good news, and if people don't want it, they don't have to take it. They don't have to listen to us. They're going to be doomed. They're going to be in deep trouble, but the Lord is not forcing them to do this. This is completely their free choice, which is something I think we can all listen to and we can all take in. How often do we, do we take this gospel message seriously, go out and proclaim the Messiah to our family, to our friends, to our children, and we get rejected? It's like nobody cares But this unbelievable fact that we have a Savior to liberate us from the sins of this world. What are we supposed to do? We're supposed to allow the peace that we look to give to them, allow it to return to us. Accept the fact that, look, it's a free choice. It's a choice that they can take or a choice that they can reject. It's not something to be forced upon. It's not something that that we need to coerce anybody to do. It's not something we spread by the sword. That's why we go like lambs among wolves. But here's the question then. If we're meant to spread the Messiah, the mission of the Messiah, we're meant to to spread the good news, and if we're meant to be lambs among wolves, what's going to happen to us? What's going to happen to us? And that's the most beautiful part about this gospel passage. Two things are going to go on. Satan is going to fall like lightning from the sky and our names will be written in heaven. Satan will fall like lightning from the sky and our names will be written in heaven. The reason, the beautiful, so the first point, how will Satan fall like lightning? It seems like Satan does a pretty good job this day and age. He seems like he has a very, very great stronghold amongst the people of God and amongst this world. And to some degree, you're correct. But the fact of the matter is, is that if we are honest and upfront about our faith, if we're honest and upfront that only happiness comes through Jesus Christ, that only love comes through Jesus Christ, that only passion, only salvation comes from Him, 
then ultimately Satan, the deceiver, will be unmasked. And what we'll begin to see is that the person who actually has the power in the world is not Satan, is not the devil, it's Jesus Christ. Very often often we look at the devil as as a wolf in sheep's clothing, but that's not true. Whenever Jesus talks about wolves in sheep's clothing, he's talking about us. He's talking about people, people who are deceiving our other people. What, what, in all reality, though, the devil isn't a wolf in sheep's clothing. The devil is a sheep in wolf's clothing. He makes it look like he's strong. He makes it look like he has power. He makes it look like he's great. But what Jesus Christ, what the message Jesus Christ does is it uncovers the disguise and we reveal his supreme powerlessness. And why is he powerless? It goes back to the 72. Because you and I have the spirit of Christ within us. Whenever we were baptized, whenever we we were confirmed, we had the power of prophecy bestowed upon us. Our souls were configured essentially to look and to act and to be like Christ. I had an old spiritual director at IPF. He used to say, you are Jesus. Not you're like Jesus. Not that you're kind of, sort of, quasi in his family. No, you are Jesus. And the, and the theology he points to is the theology of the body of Christ. If you and I receive the body of Christ, and you and I call ourselves part of the body of Christ, then guess what? That means we are Jesus. That means that Satan has no power here. That means we have the power to tread upon scorpions. That means that we have the power to tread upon serpents. That means that we have the power to face the evils of this world without any fear. Because what are they going to do? Hurt our bodies? Hurt our reputations, whatever. Jesus took much more pain as for, with his body and his reputation than you and I ever will for the message of the gospel. And thank God for that. So that's the first beautiful thing that we're going to accomplish. We're going to see Satan fall like lightning. We're going to see him fall and we're going to be able to laugh at it. But the real thing that we need to re- rejoice in and celebrate in is the fact that our names are written in heaven. Today I'm going to do Eucharistic Prayer 1, and it's called the Roman Canon because we say the names of the early Roman saints, Linus, Cletus, Clement, Sixus, Cornelius, Cyprian, Lawrence, Chrysogonus, John, and Paul, Cosmos, and Damien. We say these names because because we want to join those names. We want to join ourselves. We want to to be a part of that experience. We We want our name to be listed in that canon. We want our names to be written in heaven. And guess what? Whenever we're baptized, that name is there. It's right there. And we have the power to scratch it out. We have the power to say, I'm not interested. Or we have the power to ratify. And the way we ratify is to go two by two, to spread the gospel, and to let the world know that Jesus Christ has come. He's died for us. He's risen from the dead. And it means that you and I have a Savior in him. And so may that be a part of our mission. May it be that, may that come into our hearts. And may we have the boldness to proclaim Jesus Christ crucified to the entire world, knowing that, yes, we might face persecution. Yes, we might, fa- we might not be all that popular. But at the end of the day, Satan will fall like lightning. We will tread upon serpents. We will tread upon scorpions. And our names will be written in heaven 